Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in our week in IndyCar series with our guest, IndyCar CEO, Mark Miles. Big thanks to Mark for making time yet again, making another, I think two years in a row now, preseason stop to field your questions. They were awesome. Had about 30, 40 minutes or so with Mark today. Recorded this around lunchtime on Wednesday, starting off with coronavirus. Thoughts, mindsets, concerns, etc. on that front. Very, very timely topic as well, knowing that tonight, as we learned from President Trump, there is a new European travel ban, excludes England, where frankly a lot of drivers and support comes from for the series, but nonetheless, new European travel ban coming into the States starting on Friday. I was able to text with Mark and say, hey, this is new news. Do we think this will impact anything regarding St. Petersburg this weekend and the launch of the season for the NTT IndyCar Series? Plus, we even looked down the three tiers of the Cooper Tires presented road to Indy. Mark said no. Been in communication with the events promoters at Green Savory, and there are no changes in reaction to President Trump's travel ban going forward as expected, despite concerns over the coronavirus. We'll mention, although we haven't found a perfect place to drop this in print yet at racer.com, have heard from some team owners who have had sponsors cancel not only tonight, but in the days prior, all over concerns, all over not wanting to risk more the air travel, more the being in a confined space than anything. So have heard that ticket sales for St. Petersburg have been strong. Can't tell you what those numbers are, but have heard it would appear the response and the turnout will be good despite the fears over the coronavirus. What we can't say is what Sunday will look like and whether those grandstands will be as full as usual or if they will be less than what we've seen in the past. Simply don't know, but I do appreciate Mark taking time here. Great questions from you all. Good time was had. Closed with a bit of a a fun and silly throwaway question, and then Mark surprised me with the answer. Uh, I was expecting him to agree with the, uh, the premise of the question, but nonetheless... Great stuff from Mark. We'll say here as well, normally I would not necessarily be speaking to you on a Wednesday night ahead of St. Petersburg. I would probably be landing. Won't be traveling, as you might have heard me mention, at least until next month. I'm hoping Long Beach, maybe Circuit of the Americas, things are getting better on the home front, just not quite ready for me to leave Mrs. Pruitt behind and go play IndyCar, yappity mouth, reporter, whatever guy. So that's coming, just not here for the first few races. After that, I think we're pretty much ready to go. We'll just throw out that keyboard. Had to install an intercooler for sure. Lots of articles going up so far this week at Racer. I think I've filed about eight so far through Wednesday, and I've got a bunch more, plus put up a podcast earlier today with our dear pal KT Hargett, a 2020 Indy Light season preview, captured about an hour 45, hour and a half, hour 45 with our man Lee Diffie for an IndyCar season preview. That will go up Thursday as well. What else? Robert Wickens spent about a half hour on the phone with him late last week talking about life as a driver coach efforts and intent to get back behind the wheel want to try and get that done have some more stories coming for you talking about the manufacturer wars engine manufacturer wars and a very very significant change coming with one side of that chevy versus honda battle spoken with a couple of race engineers good good folks doing a piece on aero screen from an engineering standpoint how has that changed what they have to do how has that changed what the drivers have had to say? It's a certain crazy Australian by the name of Will Power. Some killer quotes that he shared for me in the new issue of Racer Magazine that has a bunch of IndyCar season preview content that should be out here maybe now 
if not tomorrow. And I actually have a great quote from Will for that story did with him on the arrow screen that just did not get used. So I'll throw that into the digital piece at racer.com. Got another piece on this stellar rookie crop. We are just anticipating being raging monsters like the last ones. So spoke with Colton Herta and Felix Rosenquist, the top two rookies from 2019 to get their thoughts about the kids coming to play in 2020. And I'm probably forgetting some other stuff, but if you didn't know, I love IndyCar. (laughs) It's been kind of sort of the basis of my life since uh, I was a, what was it? A sophomore in high school, junior open wheel racing in general. It's been my life along with sports cars too, but uh, open wheel a lot. So yeah, I get a little excited and I do a little bit too much leading into the new season every year and I hope you enjoy it. So got the podcast with Katie. That's up. Here is your week in IndyCar guest episode with Mark Miles. Got about a half hour, 45 minutes more to do on your listener Q&A show. Tons of questions there. Finish that tonight. Going to get the Lee Diffie season preview up tomorrow. I think I have one podcast with Zach Veach. I'll try and get up. Anyways, I hope you charge your phones. Charge your phones, your tablets. Make sure your computer's plugged in. I just want to make darn sure you are revved up and ready for this new season. And coming back to kind of where we started on the intro here, as of Wednesday night, 8.47 p.m. in California, I can tell you the first round of the season is going to happen. If that were to change at 8.48 p.m., don't hold me accountable, and I can't tell you what's going to follow. But at least for now... I am acting and working and producing content, podcast written, and I think that's about it. That goes along with the premise of we're going to have an unaffected NTT IndyCar season. Am I stupid for thinking that is what's going to happen? Maybe. But as many of you know and willfully suffer, I am a glass more than half full, almost completely full guy. So there's that. Last note before we get going with our man, Mark Miles. If this is your first time listening to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, and in particular our Week in IndyCar show, you can submit your questions each week when I put out the call for questions on my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter page, on the MP Podcast Facebook page, also on the IndyCar Reddit group. Thanks again to Matt and the team there for all they do. Thanks to Tim Falkowitz for putting together the questions for me each week. And finally, if you have not checked out the, it's a little slice, it's a little slice of heaven there, I'd say, marshallpruittpodcast.com. It has the 750 plus episodes we have posted since this little audio obsession of mine came to life in May of 2016. Everything we've ever done is waiting for you there to listen to. Uh, It's a pretty interesting back catalog. Plus, we have a neat little subscribe page. If you want to get things as they land immediately, that would be the place to pick your Apple podcast link, Spotify, Podbean, whatever. Pick and choose what you prefer, whether it's a download or a stream. It's all waiting for you on marshallpruittpodcast.com. All right, my cat Rocky is sleeping to the right. Our cat Rosie is in the bedroom with my beloved wife, Shabrell. It's time to say... Let's talk IndyCar with our pal, Mark Miles, CEO of The Whole Joint, brought to you by Cooper Tires, The Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Hey, it's the start of a new IndyCar season, and who better to help us usher in the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg and 17 races of NTT IndyCar Series awesomeness than the CEO of IndyCar. I think you also have, is it president of Penske Entertainment too? You're a man with many titles there, Mark Miles. Yeah, it's all alphabet soup, but but you know what it is. We're happy to be a part of uh, IndyCar, IMS, the 500, everything else at IMS, and IMS Productions. And uh, we're especially happy now to be uh, owned by... Roger Penske and his companies and 
the future is definitely bright. As usual, and appreciate you making your return here to the week in IndyCar. A lot of great questions. We're never going to get through all of them knowing that, I don't know, you've got a series to run and a season to start. And uh, there are some bad things in the air, apparently, too. So why don't we start there and get this thing called COVID-19 out of the way. Got a couple of fine fans, Pamela Henderson, Kevin Kaufman, a few others who've thrown in a few questions here. First one might be just strict informational, procedural, Mark. Uh, The first one is, are event cancellations largely driven by local government, or would it be up to the series to make that call? How do these kinds of developments take place? Yeah, that really is a good question, and and I think there's no one answer, but I'll try to wade through that a little bit. So generally, I think anybody who is involved with a sporting event that gets the public together, or even for that matter, um, you know, a, a, a convention or a trade show in industry, looks at both. Um, you, you've got to be very um, uh, cognizant of what local officials, both frankly political and health uh, officials are, are saying and what what they think is prudent in their locale. Um, and you have to understand really your participants. And so we're trying to do both. Um, I can't tell you how many times a day we're talking with uh, right now with the promoters in St. Petersburg, Florida, and they are in even more frequent touch with the the mayor of St. Petersburg and all the appropriate public safety and public health officials there. And, uh, and the great news of course about that one is the show's going on. A lot of our people are already there. Um, and, uh, we're looking forward to getting there on Thursday and hopefully having a, a super weekend. Um, and that has to be an interesting thing, Mark, with 16 venues, uh, or 15 venues, I should say, to attend this year. Obviously, the doubleheader Detroit and the two races at Indy Annapolis. But with a many venues, some of them further down the line, but nonetheless with many venues to check into, I'm almost wondering if there's a, a IndyCar coronavirus hotline that is just you know burning 24 hours a day trying to check in with, as you mentioned, local health officials, political leaders, and whatnot, promoters. I'm guessing this is a very uh, preoccupying thing right now in your office. Yeah, there's no one hotline because it's more layered and nuanced than that. But yes, um, there there are there are a lot of conversations. So I, I'm personally very involved in talking with St. Pete, Stephen Starks, who you know generally is our point person and liaison with our promoters is his head a little further down the, his eyeball a little further down the calendar. And he's talking with the folks at zoom for Birmingham or, or, uh, Barber and Long Beach and, uh, and Coda in Austin. Obviously I'm camped right here in the middle of the speedway. So we're talking with those folks and then, you know, it's sort of week by week, event by event, we'll look a little further down. It's changing so quickly that, uh, you can't do a lot of planning for something say six months from now. But lots of activity, and it's both, um, you know, making sure that, that, that it's not just a question of the events going on. The good news is all of our events are going on at this point. It's uh, are there any special precautions that ought to be taken? And, uh, you know, every one of our promoters is going to bend over backwards and do everything possible to make their staffs and their fans, the ticket buyers, and all the participants as safe as possible. Next question, and the last question on this topic, Mark, is one, obviously we've yet to have to address, but it's more mindset-based from Kevin Hoffman, who says, in light of the recent decision that the Bahrain Grand Prix Formula One race will be run with no spectators, would IndyCar be more prone to cancel or reschedule, if necessary, whichever races, or take the same type of action of no spectators in place? I guess I'd also throw in we... Recently read the comments from NBA star LeBron James, who has posed that question, the NBA thing about possibly playing some games without fans, to which he said, I play for them. If they're not here, I've got no interest. Curious where you you fall on this, not asking you to commit to anything, Mark, but just what's the mindset? Cancel, no fans, if we had to? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't have an answer to that. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's not a choice we have to make now. Uh, we would make any decisions like that based on the specifics at the time and what's the healthcare situation, what's the future prognosis, um, what our partners think, and, and, and importantly, not just broadcasters and sponsors, but our promoters. So I, I don't know the answer to that. It's not, a, it's not that we have an inclination one way or another. We'd have to decide it on a case-by-case basis as I sit here today. I would note that while Bahrain did what they did, um, it, it appears that Australia and Melbourne, the Grand Prix is going on, you know, sort of with whatever precautions they're taking, but with fans. So that's, a, that's an example of a different uh, conclusion in a different place. Let's move to a couple questions on some guy named Roger Penske. First one's from our pal Lance Snyder, who says, Mark, I'm sure you previously came to work as excited every day, but does having Mr. Penske as the owner, his company, as the owner of the series, does that add any extra spring to your step? <laughs> that is such a great question because, um, yes, we are, we've always come to, to work excited every day. Uh, and I appreciate uh, fan, um, you know, imagining that. But, you know, yes, the short answer is absolutely yes. And it's not just for Mark Miles. It's for uh, uh, everybody here. And here means... IMS IndyCar and IMS Productions, all of us are so excited. You know, I think what the public sees as a picture of Roger Penske and his team is really pretty accurate. He is uh, so passionate about um, uh, about being excellent and excelling and really being the best at everything he does and everything he touches, and whether that's, you know, winning races uh, or – making the condition uh, and the fan experience at the speedway the best it could possibly be and meaningfully better all the time or you know growing the indycar series particularly here in north america his passion is unrivaled and that's exciting for all of us his work ethic is legend but um it's 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 greater than anybody knows uh roger is tireless seven days a week every day and uh, and long, long days, and his attention to detail uh, is is uh, is also legendary. But the main thing is, you know, he is the way he is because he wants to succeed, and he wants these properties to be better all the time, and something that he and his family can be proud of, but also something that all our fans really uh, appreciate. And so that's that's incredibly exciting for all of us that are working with them for him. And, uh, and I, I have no doubt, notwithstanding things like the virus, um, that fans will see his influence and his guidance and leadership and touch in, in everything we do. He's up early changing the oil in the Penske rental trucks, all kinds of stuff. The guy's a phenom. Uh, let's add to uh, this with Zachary Burcham, uh, who says, Mr. Miles, any particular thing or event that has happened since Roger took over that left you a little bit in awe of how he's able to get things done, maybe even just with a single call for instance. So anything where you've had a chance to actually see the Roger Penske phenomenon in motion and go, Oh wow, that guy, he's an operator. Yeah. You know, people appreciate the question. Um, and people always kind of want the silver bullet answer. The, the, the one thing, and I probably could think for a minute and come up with a couple of one impressive thing examples, but, but that isn't what comes to mind first. It's the absolute constancy mm. or consistency of the effort and the, and the, uh, and the attention to uh, improvement. So, yeah, I've seen him, you know, we were talking, we were trying to talk at a senior level with a a major U.S. firm, uh, which we thought could make sense as a sponsor. And frankly, we, we had collectively struggled to get to a senior level. Uh, when Roger heard that, this is now, I don't know, 60 days or more ago, uh, the next day we had a conference call with everybody that mattered under the CEO, you know, the chief operating officer, the chief marketing officer, <laughs> etc. And they were attentive. And so that, that's a phone call that 
cut through months of work for us. Um, you know, we've signed a significant number of new sponsors in record time. And a significant number of them were doable, not just for because of Roger, but also his team, Jonathan Gibson and Bud Denker, were very involved, along with uh, our chief revenue officer, Casey Lane. And, and one of the reasons that we've been so successful so amazingly quickly is because of the Penske Corporation and the special sauce they brought to their race team for a long time, which is, look, they, they look for long-term partners that are a great fit, and then they find ways to really broadly integrate or create the opportunities. So I'm not going to tell you how many dollars Roger Penske's companies spend with Firestone on buying tires every month. That would be proprietary, but it's a real number. And so if we want to talk to Firestone about a new idea, you, you know, we, we have it's probably a bad example because we have a phenomenal relationship with Firestone already, and they're, they're always open to ideas. But it's meant to be an example where, based on the operations, wherewithal, uh, buying power of Penske Corp, where it makes sense, um, we can bring more to the table now than we would have uh, previously. It's like so the old, old E.F. Hutton commercial. When Roger Penske talks, people listen. That's uh, yeah. that's not a and bad that, thing. And it's not going to be idle chatter, right? I mean, he's a really uh, charming, enjoyable person with a sense of humor. But when he's calling you, you know, it's it's there's, you're going to know what the topic is, and um, you're going to try to get right after it and see if something can be worked through. Our pal Andrew Hoffman, Mark, would, was curious about the growth IndyCar has been undergoing. He mentions in 2016 there were 21 full-time entries, really no part-time teams. Schedule had lost three venues from the 2015 season. Is Since then, we've undergone a lot of growth starting this year now at St. Pete. 24 full-timers, a couple of part-timers as well. Schedule has had minimal turnover. Curious, are there any specific things you might attribute to the positive growth the last couple of years? And is there anything you think needs to continue to keep that growth moving? Yeah, well, I appreciate the observation. And I think there's a few answers, a few affirming answers. It, it all starts with the racing. And the racing has been great. It's continued to get great. It's continued thank goodness to, to, you know, to be a little safer all the time. Um, and you know, it's incredibly competitive The I wouldn't call it parody, but you know, the, the, uh, ability for a small team to challenge a big team for a rookie to challenge a veteran, all those things are wonderful dynamics. So the sport we offer fans to me is where it all begins. And it was really in good shape years ago, but it's only gotten better. The second thing is, especially because the question dealt uh, to some extent with the number of teams and participants. Um, you know, Jay Fry has led a tremendous effort to make it as affordable as possible. So we don't make changes without thinking about a number of uh, effects or considerations, but always one of them is, um, is this something that is going to contribute to the value proposition uh, of our racing for our team owners. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be less money, but it's certainly going to be the least amount of money for the benefit that, that, that a change delivers. And so I think um, you, you should see the look on the face of a Formula One team when you tell them what it costs to run an IndyCar <laughs> for a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, your, the eyes it's just hard to imagine the socks so and think, shoes budget of the Ferrari formula one team equal to <laughs> running an IndyCar program. Maybe, but yeah, you, you certainly get the point. I think that's really foundational. I think that's really important. I think our folk, you know, in terms of the Roger calls it date equity, uh, the questioner notes that we haven't changed a lot of events. You know, I don't know about how I can't comment on forever ago. But it had been several years where there was a fair amount of change in the calendar. And as soon as we could, which I want to say was about four or five years ago, we made three-year deals with our sanction holders. Mm. And, and that was meant you – know, first of all, you, 
we could that could have been done before, but you had to have the stability with your promoters of course. and a schedule that you liked enough. But we'd gotten to the place where we thought we could lock things in for a few years at a time, and that's been a big help. We're trying to do that again now going forward. And so, you know, we value uh, consistency on the schedule. We, we like the way the schedule looks now. We're very focused on, you know, growing the series here in North America. Roger is not very interested in racing outside of North America at this point. And Interesting. I understand that. Yeah. Um, I think basically that's because uh, of his laser focus on growing and growing fast. And we might be able to get some more dollars, which would have maybe been more important to us a year ago than it is today, in a sense, by racing abroad. But um, uh, he, he's more interested in investing here in North America and and, and attaining really good growth uh, on an ongoing basis here first. So, um, yeah, so I think our, our view of the schedule aligns with his now, and, and it's all about a level of consistency and growing the events that we've got. Those are some of the fundamentals. Um, and then really uh, the last one I'd say is, again, it's, not a, it's the opposite of the silver bullet. I think I probably said to you, Marshall, now for several years, there isn't one thing. Uh, there are these foundational things that I've tried to articulate, but we want to do a hundred things better all the time. And I, I think that's, we've got a very talented group of people throughout the organization that's always improving. And, uh, and I think they're executing better all the time. So let me ask a a follow-up to this Mark. And that is now that we've had one season, first full season of everything we do, on NBC slash NBCSN. What do you think that might factor into this stability and growth? Again, I know it's a single data point. They're obviously here, you know, with a little bit more than half of the broadcast schedule beforehand, but at least with one full season in, any feeling on if and how that might be contributing to the growth we've seen this year? Hugely important. I should have probably mentioned it in the first part of the answer. It it was certainly not ideal for us to have two broadcasters, irrespective of who they are and the job they did. We don't have enough events. We don't have enough content, if you want to think about it that way, to split it and to have each partner in that example, you know, care enough for them to help us move the needle in the presentation of the sport. So it's really important, number one, and sort of strategically. Number two, I thought NBC did a very good job, an excellent job, in year one, and the results uh, showed up. We got linear growth at a time when, uh, you know, regular broadcasters say flat is the new up. And so we not only stayed flat, which is relatively good, but we grew. And I think a lot of that has to do with the strategy and then the execution with NBC. So we just covered schedule a little bit. want to add a couple questions here on this. One from Michael Strack who's curious if there are any additional tracks that might be of interest for the future. And Ralph Hibbard, uh, who says, curious on thoughts on expanding the schedule, because obviously adding a track could be as a result of removing one, but Ralph's curious if we think we might push the overall calendar up to 2021 races at some point in time in the future. Yeah, let me start with Ralph's question, the second one first. Um, you know, I don't know about how far out in the future, but for now, it is certainly not our uh, ambition to increase the number of events. Um, look, if, if, if another one came along that um, was really compelling and, um, and we, could, we could add and get to 18, I'm not saying it couldn't be considered, but it's certainly not like we're out there trying to figure out how to get to 18. And as was said, you know, if another really compelling event came along and we, we felt like it had, it offered us a greater ability to present a great event and reach more people instead of an existing event, it's conceivable we'd look at it that way. But we don't feel compelled to drop somebody in order to add somebody. And we're not looking to uh, just see how many events we can have now. Years from now, if our economics are different, um, uh, maybe 
you know that uh, in addition to thinking about how many events, we, we are often regularly thinking about uh, the, when is the schedule, what is the schedule? Does it start like now in mid-March and end in at least mid-September? Are there, is there a regular rhythm to the events or do we still have some times uh, where we think we're, we start and then we're off for too many weeks before we're back on? Um, we're, we're always looking at those things. And, uh, and, and frankly, again, still, if anything, I think we'd, we'd prefer to start a little earlier and maybe end a little bit earlier in September. Mm. But basically, we, we don't see the opportunity to do that right now. And, uh, um, but I hope I've answered your question. We're not looking just to add events. Yeah, and Michael's question about additional tracks, I guess, is, is answered in, in Ralph's question. Maybe I'll just pivot that a little bit to, I know that there's at least one or more events that will be completing their existing contracts. I think Portland, if I remember, was on a three-year deal. So this, in theory, would be the conclusion of that this year. Can you share any thoughts, Mark, on extending or sticking with what we have on the topic of date equity, where that might be with some of those contracts you know that need to get uh, looked at and hopefully new ones issued? Yeah, well, many or most are up now, meaning after 2020. And we are in the process of trying to renew all of them. So um, that's where we stand. There's a lot of work to be done. Stephen Starks is kind of on point to get that done. And right now he is uh, endeavoring to find future arrangements with with everybody that's on the series. Going to move to a question from David Zitterbart on engines. Just spoke with Bud Denker about this recently from uh, Penske Corp. So there's a little bit of a modification to that story we just posted on Racer. David says every year he we hear rumors that the uh, key partners at Chevy and Honda are maybe stretched to or beyond their limit to supply demand. So he's curious if there's been any thought about welcoming engine specialists to provide a solution, say a Cosworth, in lieu <laughs> if we don't have a third well-known auto brand coming into the series but a again a bit of an alternate if needed to supply some extra teams where chevy and honda might raise their hand and say yeah we're, we are at we're stretched we're at our limit does that hold any interest or value or are you strictly of the if it's not an auto manufacturer we're probably not going to move forward um i think the idea first of all i'd say can you imagine anybody better to try to sort all that out than Roger Penske? Um, I mean, between Ilmore and his experience with every OEM, really, well, almost every OEM, uh, his, his contacts, his knowledge uh, is just unparalleled. So it's, it's one of the areas where uh, the Penske organization brings, I think, unique attributes to what we're trying to do. Second thing I'd say is, we're not at the point where for Honda or Chevy, the burden is too great. They're, they're not looking to topple over in their involvement with the series because of having to supply half of these engines. But uh, it's no secret that they'd be happy if there was a third OEM and it lessened the number of engines a bit, saved them some, some uh, expense. Saying all that, um, I don't think we go to a, a Cosworth. Uh, that's sort of a last resort. Now, Cosworth could easily be involved, a Cosworth involved in supporting a third OEM. But you want the OEM because you want the marketing and the expertise um, and all that they bring through their dealer networks and the like to the promotion of the sport. So, look, if we really had a problem and if we couldn't get there with a third OEM, then the questioners thought could be relevant but i think that's it's it's kind of the it's it's not the first or second option fair enough i'm with you we need cosworth back we we need them back servicing a major automotive brand and that would make me super happy so there you go. That's just a statement and more than <laughs> anything else. Mr. would probably feel that way too, wouldn't he? I have no ability to influence <laughs> that. I'm just making an obvious statement. Let's go to uh, Jeff Zerneski. We've got a couple more really great questions here, Mark. 
Uh, Jeff is asking, how do you see IndyCar moving forward in the next 10 years? So I know that's a bit of a long-term question, but maybe his second aspect of this might be the driver to it. He asks, what untapped areas are there for development with IndyCar in a business sense? So when I, when I, if I understand the question correctly, I think mostly about the way we go to market as opposed to, you know, the development of what's on the track. Obviously, they're both relevant. But when you say to me in a business sense, what comes to mind is what's the future role of technology in taking this incredible content that we have in racing, especially IndyCar racing, and turning it into a whole lot of additional reasons that fans want to watch and watch more often. So, you know, we talk with uh, our friends at NTT, and they're really in the NTT data in particular. They develop technology. And, you know, they know that there are 40 uh, cuts, data lines across the two-and-a-half-mile oval at IMS, and that every car, we, we take data off of, every car 40 times a lap real time. And the sum of all that is like 80 million lines of code (laughs) that we take off the track during the Indianapolis 500 mile race. So, you know, that sounds surprising and, and you could talk to the readers about how do they consume that? Well, if they're on the app, there's the marching ants and there's some, obviously there's timing and scoring info that we pub that's available real time. But there's so many ideas about how that can be that data can be uh, manipulated and and turned into content that people can just see and watch and enjoy. Um, that's really exciting. Whether you it, it almost doesn't matter what hardware you use to enjoy it, whether it's on television or it's on an app on your phone or computer or on dot com or. Uh, you know, connected to social media directly. There's just, the the sky's the limit. And there's so much going on in a racetrack, and it's going on so fast, I think our sport, maybe more than others, will benefit from the way we go to market and how technology will help us uh, create a richer uh, relationship with more fans. Let me add to this, Mark, and it's bringing in a competition question, so I know this is more Jay Fry's area, but I would have to imagine you might hear some of these things in your discussions with potential partners and advertisers on the subject of future technology. One of the things that I would hope will evolve for IndyCar in the coming years is embracing more freedom for tech companies to get involved with the cars themselves. If we look at our mobile phones, my listeners will know I talk about this somewhat frequently of whether you're a Samsung, a Google, an iPhone, whatever it is, your tablet, boy, wouldn't it be amazing if IndyCar said, hey, major tech companies, Silicon Valley, wherever, we, you want to do the interior of the car, you want to do the dash, some sort of wraparound, touchscreen, something, data information, whatever, use our vehicles as your high-speed laboratory and advertising campaign, come on in. Any other areas on the car, whether it's, you know, the electric vehicle market, are there areas where those brands and companies, emerging things, biofuels, you name it, it seems like IndyCar could be ripe in the years ahead to say, you know, we've locked some things down to keep costs under control, but boy, emerging technology, emerging fuels, emerging, you name it. Have you heard from some of the companies you've spoken with that have said, boy, if we were allowed to, we'd love to get directly involved with the vehicle themselves in a way that was once a really big point of pride for IndyCar decades ago? Uh, kind of yes and no, to be perfectly frank. I, I think there are definitely technologies that could get applied to our racing that would add great value and give the technology company the opportunity to show its, its stuff. So um, AI is a great example, right? It, it may not be on the dashboard and physically what you see, but could have a, a, a really interesting effect, not just in the cars, but in race control, for example, and lots of other ways that could we'd benefit from. So there's that. Um, 
I'll robot Kyle right. Novak sounds fascinating to me. I love that. We've got a robot <laughs> race director, AI, making the calls. Yell at the computer. Don't yell at a human. He's going to vote for that right now. Yeah, no, I don't think we're going to take the human out. All right. In the role. But what if, what if that technology could kind of help him anticipate where to look or give him uh, or avoid problems? for not just Kyle, but for the teams. Um, it's really, it's really very interesting. Let me tell you uh, about a recent development. So here in Indianapolis, the state of Indiana and a local not-for-profit that's involved in developing um, kind of clean tech put together a plan for autonomous vehicle racing. Now you say, why would IMS or IndyCar have any interest in autonomous racing? Are you idiots thinking about taking the driver out of the car? The answer is, we may be idiots, but we're not that dumb. No, we're not thinking about that at all. We love the idiots we currently have in the cars. Why would we dare take them out? (laughs) But this group has raised the resources, and we've announced that we're going to be the host, not the promoter, of autonomous racing. And they have, I think it's 30-some major universities around the world that um, have engineering programs um, and they, and they are, they are the competitors. And so I don't want to get too far ahead of what's already been talked about here. It has been announced, but basically the cars will be the same. Uh, the variable will be the software, which is the autonomous vehicle, uh, process or, or, or driver, so to speak. And, um, well, we can't wait to see what happens. Well, again, the reason we're doing this is first of all, IMS was always about innovation. And it's, it's going to be fun to see what these brilliant kids and their faculty members come up with and see what the racing looks like. But secondly, it is entirely possible that they could develop technology that would help our drivers in cars with who knows. You know, I'm, I'm, this is not a, this is a, a thought. It's not a serious uh, uh, activity at this point. But what, what if they figure out ways to keep the cars f- you know, to, to avoid collisions a little bit more, you know, some, some ways to, uh, just make the driver a little smarter going around the track. There's all kinds of things I can think of that might be almost unintended, um, collateral benefits for IndyCar racing Mm. with drivers, uh, that, that could come out of it. So who knows, but technology and, and the companies involved with that technology, along with the universities are the kinds of firms that you were, your, your question uh, asks about. So we're getting them involved in, in different ways. So I know you've got to run here in, in a moment. I've got three quick questions uh, saved to close out the show. One from Paul Davis. says, best wishes to uh, my wife and I and her re- continued recovery. Thank you, Paul. He says, Mark, when NTT Data signed up as the title sponsor, we were told that they would be uh, doing some big-time activation new technological advancements for fan engagement and such asking what can we expect in 2020 from the partners at NTT data in this regard? Yeah, well, um, we, we were happy that they led the effort to get the app, the IndyCar app up, uh, for, uh, last year and it will continue to improve. But the next big thing I think that fans are going to see, I'm not going to say too much about, but, Roger Penske mentioned that he's adding a lot of video boards, and he mentioned that one of them is this big board that will be on the back of the Pagoda in front of Pagoda Plaza, for those of you who know the Annapolis Motor Speedway layout. So this big board is 100 feet by 20 feet, and I I won't uh, steal their thunder, but NTT is going to be very much a part of how to bring technology to create new content on at least a portion of that board in, in May. And we're really excited about what that's going to look like. Let's talk TV a little bit, Mark. So we've <coughs> seen some really welcome uh, modifications to some of the deals that were announced last year. We know that Canadian fans, more access, more live content this year, Australia as well. Our friend Carlos Villalobos, who pointed out last year that uh, where he lives in Latin America was no longer able to get live IndyCar races. And yet those in, uh, the people's Republic, uh, good old North Korea could at least based on things. There was a little bit grumpy, but Carlos is curious. 
thoughts on Latin America in TV? Do we know if Claro TV is going to continue? We know that we have a rich tradition in Latin America uh, of IndyCar love. And another question from a friend in Holland who's curious about Indy 500 practice sessions. Will they be available for those who want to watch? Uh, he's from Holland, Renus VK and such. So curious in South America and maybe international uh, availability for IndyCar broadcasts. Well, yeah, you've already mentioned two markets where we're really pleased with the improvement. It's not that we got smarter. It's that the market began to accommodate our desire to have better exposure and accessibility for fans. But that's certainly true, as you said, in Australia and in Canada. Claro in Latin America is a, a, a big opportunity. Um, now they are offering uh, the appropriate, more appropriate Spanish language content, more Spanish language promotion. Um, I, I hope, I think their pricing seems pretty reasonable. And that will be kind of the, the uh, broadest way for us, us to reach fans throughout most of Latin America. Then we go back in country by country, uh, Brazil, for example, um, and, uh, and Mexico are, are sort of at the top of the list to try to get good terrestrial or call it linear um, uh, exposure. So, uh, frankly, much of that is still being worked out. Um, uh, that you can imagine that those those economies and markets are very dynamic, and uh, our motivation is to get the, the the best possible reach wherever we can. Last serious question of the show comes in from our pal Vincent. He's curious about something, Mark. Frankly, I get questions about this every week, multiple questions, and it continues wandering about IndyCar and esports if and when we might see an announcement of some sort of something as we've seen in formula one and NASCAR seems like this is an area that could be very beneficial to IndyCar and new fan engagement. And yet at least to my knowledge, uh, I'm unaware of anything yet done to get IndyCar into the serious esports market. Curious. If there's any developments in that area. It's a good question. Um, I would point out, I mean, sort of definitional, but I, I, I'm not trying to duck the question. If you think esports, I generally think of a fully developed league, right? Think NBA. Um, if, if you think organizing competition amongst people who want to play games, you know, more broad-based, uh, less professional, if I can say that, competition, then, then it's not that we haven't... Uh, already dipped our toe in that water. Last year, working with Forza, they had 700,000 downloads leading into May of, of a, a, a title that had been around for years, and they thought that was a phenomenal um, uh, result in their Bounty Hunter uh, program. Mm. So uh, there'll be that's going to happen again, some version of that. The big step in eSports, really probably requires an IndyCar title. And, you know, if you want to write the check, which is a serious eight-figure check, you can have one created, and it's a little bit like making a movie. It may be great or it may flop. So, um, but you got to figure out a way to get that, we, we think, get that uh, online. And then you got to get the teams, which I'm sure we could do uh, to be part of the organizing of an eSports league. I think you'll see in the near term, Continued uh, us continuing to work with a couple of the existing games, which are racing games, getting more and more indie cars uh, available through their games, and organizing more competition, and moving toward the day when it's much more of an esport league. The reality is, for most sports, the people making the money are the publishers that create the games, and it's more of a, a, a paid promotion. Uh, of the series that, that you know, so you got to choose with whatever dollars you have, whether you want to advertise or do earn media things or um, invest in esports. We we want to do some of each, and and but I think that the the growth in getting further in esports is going to be a little bit incremental. One other thing that I often think about, and it's it's different, but the, at some point I think the lines will cross is betting, sports wagering. 
and we're spending a lot of time on that. And I think you'll see for this May um, that uh, f- fans in all the states where it's legal are likely to be able to begin to bet um, on at least the 500 pretty widely and hopefully before long on other IndyCar uh, races as well if they're so inclined. The Robin Miller initiative as it will forever be known <laughs> indycar has one degenerate gambler he's also the most senior and veteran indycar reporter how could that not be a good thing the reporter betting on the races he's reporting on no no, lo- no 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 that would be against the already what is rule huh yeah i think we might be about 70 years late uh, getting that message to our man miller well we do have one f- closing question i saved it for last because it's the most prescient of all that were submitted. This comes from our pal, Eric Harkrader, who says, Mr. Miles, you seem like an intelligent stand-up guy. Why in God's name are you on this podcast with us lunatics? You know, um, the, the truth is uh, appearances can be deceiving. Uh, so I won't comment on your, your judgment. But I, I, I will say this. And I'm sorry that this is such a sycophantic thing to say, but I have an enormous regard for Marshall. Oh, don't start that silliness. Don't worry, it'll be quick. And his ability to connect to our fans deeply and knowledgeably. And, uh, you know, I think it's a great vehicle to support a great program and to reach fans. And even if it's not 20 million today, uh, we're talking to people who we care about because they care about us and it's much appreciated. Well, you're silly, but thanks again, Mark. Seriously, the fact that you make time for us to start uh, the last couple of seasons and get us, I guess, properly armed and ready to go have a great season. It is greatly appreciated. Look forward to all that comes out of St. Pete this weekend and we'll look forward to seeing you hopefully here soon, maybe Long Beach or Coda, but nonetheless, thanks again for spending some time with us and a lot of really dedicated IndyCar fans. Marshall, you, you know how deeply uh, the IndyCar Nation cares about you and your wife. And, uh, you know, you, you know the rest of that. But all of us can't wait to see you back out there because of all the good things that will mean have happened for, for you and your family.